Hello, it's Misty. This is Lattes and Legends. Hey, friends. I have not been around for oh, two weeks. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, welcome. Sorry for my hiatus. I took a little quick vacation up to Boulder and Fort Collins and Estes Park. And just had a grand old time. Got to see my favorite bookers. Hi, guys. And they were very awesome to me and Dave. And it was great. So I'm back from vacation. Uh, yeah. We went to see the Mike Gordon Band. We went to the Stanley Hotel. It was glorious. And now I'm back in the swing of things. I'm feeling good. Feeling great. And I'm having an IPA, not coffee. I've already had that today. So happy Sunday. Happy Sunday afternoon. It is still sunny and beautiful outside. The days are getting longer, guys. Getting excited. Spring is in the air. Until I look at the weather for tomorrow. And it says it's going to be 5 degrees. So cool. Happy February. Mr. Groundhog says early spring, so let's hope he's right. Um, anyway, a lot of people have been asking me how they can become a sponsor. You could do it on Anchor when you're listening to the podcast on Anchor. Um, or if you don't listen on Anchor, you can actually go to patreon.com slash lattes and legends and you can become a patron. Patrons get stickers, coffee mugs, all kinds of awesome stuff. And soon, patrons will start getting a bonus episode. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff coming up. Lots of stuff in the works. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, I'm on there. Lattes and Legends, you can find it. Instagram, Lattes and Legends, and Facebook is Lattes and Legends Podcast. Um, my website is lattesandlegendspodcast.com, and you can email me at lattesandlegends at gmail.com. I really, really, really appreciate the reviews I've gotten lately. I did get a one star. Oh, that stings. Um, and they said they didn't like my voice, so whatever. I'm not, I can't change it. It's what I was born with. Um, maybe you were listening to an episode where I had laryngitis. I don't know. But I wasn't too hurt by it. Because I'm still doing it. And my voice doesn't change. I can't change it. So, sorry. Hope you're not still listening. Because if you are, then you're only doing it to yourself. Uh, anyway, I'm going to talk about some more mysterious disappearances. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about national park disappearances. I am one of those people that loves, 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 loves to go to national parks. And I really want to mark more off my list. Uh, one of my husband and I's first dates was at the Grand Canyon. So, um, I definitely can see... How people could disappear there. 
I could definitely see how people can make really bad choices there because they're being tourists and they want to take a picture off a cliff with their cell phone. Guys, just don't do it. Don't be an idiot. Uh, yeah, so sources for all my stuff today. Uh, Thought Catalog and Reddit. Dun, dun, dun. So I'm going to go through some cases of disappearances in national parks and then I'm going to talk about the possible reasons that people go missing. So this should be exciting. Hold on to your hats. The first case that I'm going to talk about happened in 1928 and it happened to Bessie and Glenn Hyde. Pause. There are some names in this information that I will fuck up. So that being said, don't give me a one-star rating because I fucked up somebody's name. I'm sorry. I'm not a linguist. I'm not good with names that I can't pronounce. Um, so yeah, sorry. If that's your last name, please tell me how to pronounce it and we'll be friends and I'll never say it wrong again. All right. So Bessie and Glenn Hyde, they were honeymoon in Arizona, honeymooning in Arizona at the Grand Canyon when they vanished. They were traveling down the Colorado River in October of 1928, and they planned to boat through the Grand Canyon. Bessie would have been the first woman ever to do so successfully. Glenn had run tough rivers before, but Bessie was new at boating. The couple ran across other boaters a few weeks before their disappearance, who said they got the feeling that Bessie wanted to turn back, but Glenn was the one pushing her forward. If they completed the trip successfully, they could go on a paid lecture tour. So this trip was more than just fun. There was a lot of money at stake. Cut to several months later. The Hyde's boat was discovered that winter, seemingly undisturbed. It was upright, full of supplies, but they were gone. There are many theories about what happened to the Hyde's. Did they disembark and try a too difficult side hike? Did they have an argument that turned violent? Or were they abducted? There are conflicting reports about what happened to the Hydes and more than one Bessie Hyde sighting in the years that followed. Hmm. All right, so that's one story. Uh, this next one is from 1938. Uh, this person's name is Alfred Beale Hartz. I hope I'm saying that right. Five-year-old Alfred is the first recorded drowning in Colorado's Rocky Mountain National Park, though whether he drowned or not is very controversial. He was camping in the park with his family over the 4th of July weekend when he disappeared near the Roaring and Fall Rivers. He had gone with his dad to bathe in the river, and from there he decided to join two family friends at a spot about 500 feet, or 150 meters, upstream of where he and his father entered the river. When everyone returned to camp, they realized that he was missing. A search began immediately, expanding to more than 100 civilian conservation corps members within 45 minutes, but there was barely any sign that he had been anywhere. Um, a day after he disappeared, a couple hiking about six miles away from their campsite reported seeing a boy who looked like Alfred 
sitting in an area called the Devil's Nest. By the time um, authorities arrived, the boy was gone. The search went on for 10 days and included 150 men plus bloodhounds. Though the size of the party dwindled to about a dozen at the end of the eighth day. Oh, yikes. Here's one from 1946. Catherine Van Alst. Eight-year-old Catherine Van Alst disappeared from the Devil's Den State Park near Arkansas's Ozark National Forest, where she and her family were camping. Catherine apparently was playing with her brothers when she wandered off and got lost. And what makes her disappearance remarkable is that when she was found after six days wandering the woods, she was eerily calm. University of Arkansas student Porter Chadwick was part of the search party that found her. He told the press that when he found her, she walked stoically out of the cave and just said, Here I am. Many other hikers had gotten lost in that part of the Ozarks, but not, had not had been as lucky as her. A grown woman was lost there for 17 days and died just 50 yards from the road. Hmm. A fan... A fan of a David Polite's book has taken several 360-degree panoramic shots um, of the area where she went missing. These shots were put together, and they all suspect that she was abducted. In the shots, you can see places where an attacker, whether human or animal, may have hidden in the thick brush or behind rocks. Hmm. If it was an abductor, was it someone or something that was lurk lurking in the devil's den? Hmm. Scary stuff, friends. Scary stuff. Here's another one. This is 1946. Paula Weldon. There's an area in the Green Mountain National Forest in, near Glastonbury Mountain in Vermont's Long Trail that believers in the paranormal called the Bennington Triangle. This area got the name because of the handful of mysterious disappearances which occurred between 1945 and 1950. Paranormal author Joseph Citro coined the term because of the supposedly supernatural circumstances surrounding these vanishings. Paula Weldon was the second person to go missing in the area of Green Mountain National Forest during this period. 18-year-old Weldon was a college student who set out on the long trail in December 1946. She was dressed for walking and not a long hike, wearing jeans, a coat, and some sneakers. Her attire implied that she'd planned to return before dark, when the temperatures were supposed to drop below freezing. Um, she told her roommate that she was taking a long walk and she never returned. Several people spotted her as she hitchhiked her way to the trail and walked to the trailhead. When she didn't come back by dark, her roommate let the school know and the search began. Classes were suspended so students could help with the search. The process was very disorganized at first until her father called in some favors from the police in two surrounding states. Unfortunately, the search did not pan out and frustrated family and friends had their own theories about what happened to her. Did she run off with a boyfriend? Was she abducted? Did she commit suicide? Did she die of exposure because of her inappropriate attire? Hmm. 
No one has discovered her body, so her disappearance remains a mystery. There's a rumor that this area of the Long Trail is home to a creature called the Bennington Monster. Could the Sasquatch-like animal have something to do with her disappearance? Ba -ba -ba. Regardless of whether people think these disappearances are natural or supernatural in nature, the cases do have a few things in common. The missing tended to be alone when they disappeared or separated from their group by at least 50 yards. Bad weather and chaotic, disorganized searches are also a running theme in these cases. Hmm. Oh, it's something to think about. Something indeed. Oh, here's another one. This is Larry Jeffrey, 1966. He disappeared near the peak of a 12,000-foot Mount Charleston um, in Nevada. The search began immediately after the boy wandered away from his brothers, and within days, the National Guard and a team of bloodhounds had joined the search. When Jeffrey disappeared, he was wearing light clothing, and authorities were doubtful that he could have survived the cold temperatures that night. Searchers found and lost the trail a few times, and they discovered evidence that the boy had been eating insects and foraged berries along the way. Overall, a thousand people searched for 16 days but never found him. Um, and this next one, I'm going to skip because we talked about it last week. It was Dennis, or the last last week. Uh, Dennis Martin, 1969. And that was Rocky Mountain National Park. All right, so here's one. De uh, Douglas Legg, 1971. Douglas Legg and some of his family were heading out for a hike in the Adirondack Forest Preserve when his uncle spotted poison ivy and told Leg to put on long pants to protect himself. The family's cabin was a short, straight shot from where they were, but Leg never returned. Mm. Unlike a lot of the kids who had gone missing in national parks, he was very familiar with the woods. His family owned the cabin where they were staying and, and they described him as a mini woodsman because they all hiked together so often. His disappearance sparked one of the Southern Adirondacks' largest searches and rescue missions, with more than 600 people searching the woods. Mm. Um, some accounts describe dogs following leg scent over a 30-mile trail through difficult terrain. How could a young child have traveled alone for such a long distance? Some search reports say they saw bear tracks, um, while black bears do drag their prey to cover, dragging someone for over 30 miles on difficult ter terrain seems very unusual. The family became desperate and began suspecting each other and even their friends of abducting him. Mm, he was never found. Um, this is 1997, John Devine. According to Peninsula Daily News, Olympic National Park in northern Washington state has a feature that's not as majestic as its mountain views. At least four hikers have mysteriously disappeared from the area in the past 25 years, one of whom, 73-year-old John Devine. In 1997, John Devine planned to hike into the park from Mount Baldy. The trail is a tough 24 miles and though he was elderly, he was very experienced with long-distance hikes. Devine was camping with his friend Greg Balzer, and they split up on the day 
that he went missing. Balzer went off to hunt and Divine took off on a day hike. He never came back. The fruitless search for Divine lasted a full week until a rescue helicopter <clears throat> crashed, killed three people, and injured five others. Uh, then the weather got really bad, so they called off the search. Um, the search helicopter's crash is as mysterious as his, his disappearance, because before takeoff, the pilot had used a hand signal indicating that he was going to wait five minutes for the weather conditions to improve. Um, then a moment later, he just left anyway. And so the helicopter crashed on the side of a mountain. Ooh, yikes. Um, here's one from 2004. David Gonzalez. Um... At 8 a.m. on a July day in 2004, David Gonzalez asked his mother if he could have the car keys. There was a box of cookies in the car, and he wanted a treat. And the car was about, mm, you guessed it, 50 yards away. And his mother watched him as he walked to the parking lot near Big Bear Lake in Southern California's San Bernardino National Forest. She turned her back for one second, and he was gone. His mother reported that she heard no sound at all when her back was turned, though she did see a big beige truck speeding off the campground at the time that her son went missing. There were no signs of abductions, so authorities did not pursue that lead. The cookies that Gonzalez went to were still in the car, and he never made it. Um, rescue teams looked for him and never found him alive. Hmm. Uh, almost a year later, hikers stumbled upon his remains about a mile from his family's campsite. Authorities chalked up this to a mountain lion attack, but that seems kind of sketchy because a lot of people say that they would have seen um, signs of a struggle or blood or, you know, things of that nature, and they did not. So... Um, so this next one is from 2013. Um, I'm not really going to mess up this name. So I'm just going to call this person P.S. P.S. was a 25-year-old Canadian Army reservist who disappeared from Australia's National Park. Located in the southeastern state of New South Wales. P.S. was studying abroad in Australia in May 2013 when he decided to take a 1700 mile road trip from the Gold Coast to Melbourne. P.S. rented a van, drove to the park Charlotte Pass in the Snowy Mountains, and no one has seen him since. The search for P.S. began when the rental company discovered that the van wasn't returned. He hadn't told anyone what route or side hikes he was planning, and the search man started days or even a week after he went missing since it was the rental company that first recorded the disappearance. Searchers figured out his hike plans by looking at the search history on his laptop. They recovered from the van. His family hired private searchers after Australian authorities called off the search after only two weeks. The investigators used tower data from his phone and trained dogs to track his trail to a treacherous area called Western Fall Wilderness. Just one day before the van was due back to the rental agency, P.S. embarked on a difficult and time-consuming hike in snowy weather. Why would a trained military reservist make a choice like that? 
despite a search that went on for over a year, his body was never found. Um, so I want those to rattle around in your head for a second. I'm going to take a short break. All right, I'm back. I have another beer. I'm enjoying this beautiful weather. It, guys, it's still 50 degrees outside. This is amazing. All right, so we're going to talk about what do you think really happened. I have lots of theories. Um, one of them is Bigfoot or Sasquatch type thing. Um, much like the feral humans we talked about in the last episode. Um, <coughs> so, uh, the national parks of the U.S. were established partly to preserve the plants, animals, and ecology of certain regions. So, it certainly makes sense that humans stepping into these untamed areas should be careful. There's bears and mountain lions, buffalo, and other dangerous animals that call these parks home. And, of course, protecting their home, they've been known to attack people. But these animals that aren't the alleged cause of national park disappearances. Rather, many pen these disappearances on cryptid creatures, such as Bigfoot. Believers often claim that missing people could be been used as a food source for these creatures, and this would explain their bodies are never found. In the rare event that a missing person's body is found in a national park, it rarely ever sheds any light on what's going on. In fact, most of the autopsies from recovered bodies come back inconclusive, and pathologists aren't able to find out the cause of death. Ooh, yikes, that's really scary. That's their job. See, that freaks me out. Um, some people say this supports theories such as alien interference, paranormal abduction, or creatures that feed on people's fears. Dun, dun, dun. After all, if there's no real cause of death, then what known event or creature could be killing these people? If the body of a missing person does eventually turn up, the strange circumstances they're found uh, just generates more questions than answers. The missing are often found in patches of arid land where sniffer dogs can't perform their duties or places ravaged by storms just hours after the disappearances. To make matters even more confusing, some bodies have been found unbelievable distances from where they went missing. In fact, one missing toddler eventually turned up dead 12 miles from where he vanished. Between those 12 miles were two mountain ranges and several creeks, much too far for a toddler to go out and venture on his own. Oh, that's really something to think about right there. The mysterious nature of disappearances have led to paranormal theories blaming everything from cryptozoology creatures to aliens. But one of the more interesting explanations is that missing people were often killed by an evil spirit called the Wendigo. Da da da! Do you guys remember this from Supernatural? The Wendigo comes from Algonquin, Algonquin folklore, and it's an evil spirit that terrorizes woods and forests. Considering that much of U.S. national park land was taken from that tribe who believe in the Wendigo, there's certainly a fitting explanation for this theory. Hmm. What do you guys think? Uh-huh. 
When a three-year-old boy went missing in a national park near Mount Shasta in California, he was lucky enough to be found five hours later, sitting stunned in a thicket of trees. He described his time to his parents the next morning. The boy's retelling of those five hours included the fact that he was taken into a cave by a woman that he thought was his grandmother. Oh, God. That's creepy. When he saw some strange lights coming from her head, along with other, quote, robots in the cave, he knew something was wrong. When the woman started to get angry with the boy, she asked him to go to the bathroom on a piece of sticky paper laid out on the ground. And there he noticed there was guns all around the cave. Whether this was just his imagination or he really saw this, it's really um, unclear to say. In 1979, a student by the name of Stephen Kubiak went missing for 15 months after going skiing in the National Park. At the scene of the disappearance, investigators followed his footprints until they mysteriously stopped. Fifteen months later, he woke up in a field 700 miles away from where he went missing and only 40 miles away from his father's house. Yikes. He found his father's house and knocked on the door. He was wearing clothes that weren't his and had a bag that didn't belong to him. He claimed to remember nothing that had happened, but he said he hadn't suffered any problems and he never ended up asking for help. He eventually got his PhD in clinical psychology. Oh. Another mystery reported by the few who have gone missing and returned, trails within the park have changed mysteriously, instantly, and without warning. One woman told a story of having walked five feet off the trail to look at a sign on a tree. And when she turned back, she said there was literally no trail there. Hmm. A different woman and her son had three hours of unaccounted time while they were on a trail. And while skeptics say that this is fairly typical lost person behavior, it does make a pretty compelling case for paranormal explanations. Hmm is very interesting here we go one man an army vet came across a trail area that had strangely broken branches eight feet or higher off the ground he decided to hike it looking for some signs of a sasquatch as he hiked the trail he was unable to shake the feeling that there was someone watching him he turned around and he saw a woman walking towards him but he noticed she was somehow moving towards him quicker than her strides should have been taking her. They stared at each other and he noticed he had noticing that she had noticed distinguishable features or clothing. He turned back and kept walking, and when he looked again, she was gone. Whew, friends. This see this stuff gives me the creepy creeps. One rational approach to this mystery ends up pointing to irrationality. Under strange conditions, people do strange things. Panicked mountain climbers often remove all their clothes, even in freezing temperatures, which could explain why missing people are sometimes found in the wrong clothes or completely naked. When people experience something scary or unexplainable, their mind can fill in the blanks in really strange ways, or you can block out the trauma altogether. That's why some suggest strange details surrounding the National Park disappearances could simply be explained by the fact that lost people do really strange stuff. Huh. Well, 
What do you guys think? Personally, I'm not sure what I think. Um, but man, now I don't want to go to national parks. I'm really creeped out. Tell me your national park stories if you have them. Hopefully they were all great. Um, and don't let this persuade you to not go to these beautiful places. Like I said at the beginning, just don't make some stupid choices. If you make shit choices at a national park, I bet karma's going to come around and slap you in the face. But that's just me. Don't take a picture sitting on a buffalo. Don't try to take a picture, a selfie off a cliff. Don't try to run to a mountain lion or a bear. Like Friends, animals are protective of their homes. Think about how you would feel if someone came into your shit. You get protective, right? That's what I thought. Anyway, I'm going to sign off. I will talk to you guys next week. Have a wonderful week. Happy February. Guys, don't take selfies off cliffs.